0: Welcome to Atari Bites, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 173. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. How's it going, guys? Is life good? Is life great? Have you had as much coffee as I've had this morning? Probably not. So we'll try to power through before I collapse in a caffeine-fueled... Uh, post-caffeine crash thing. Alright, so what's new? We're uh, humming along into May. Mother Mother's Day has happened now. Uh, hi, moms out there, belatedly. Hope your day was wonderful. Hope uh, your children haven't gone back to ignoring you. And you dads and you other non-dads and other humans and the animals and the trees, too. I hope you're all doing well. And, by the way, did I mention the coffee? All right. Well, let's move on. Uh, what do we do first? Oh, yeah. We do this. Gonna prove that the world is flat In his rocket ship Or else he'll go splat He's Mad Mike Hughes Mad Mike So, this isn't specifically a Mad Mike thing, but I did, I don't have the article in front of me, but I saw yet another article this week where the flat earthers are now positing that the earth, okay, maybe isn't actually flat, but it's shaped like a donut. And I've seen some, you know, artist renderings of what a donut-shaped earth might look like. And I gotta tell you, it looks kind of tasty, actually. Um, A nice round cake donut with the hole in the middle. Uh, you throw a little frosting on there. Like maybe the uh, I don't know the melted polar ice caps could be uh, the the glaze on the donut-shaped Earth. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know, man. All this flat Earth stuff just makes me think of that internet meme about uh, 1990s scientists. We put a rocket. We put a robot on Mars. We cloned a sheep. Scientists today, for the last time. The Earth is round. That's kind of where we are at as a society now. But we power on. Thank God we've got Mad Mike Hughes leading the charge to blast off into space and put this controversy to rest, I guess. So what's going on with uh, Mr. Mike? On Twitter, there's a post from a few days ago. Steve Talbert, head of Rocket Launch Security... Rides on the back of a minivan to set up cones and caution tape to block off the road. There's a link to the Instagram page. And yeah, there's a guy with a beard and a hat and sunglasses. You know, holding on to for dear life to the luggage rack of a van. Um, same post as I just read you except with the line, Security's gonna be tight. Okay. There's also Pat, the, Pat Marchese on the Instagram page. This is Rocketman page on Instagram. Shoot, you only have $65 on GoFundMe. I mean, really, you think that, you know, the whole world's looking at you? I don't think so. With the caption, Pat the Samaritan brings Mad Mike's ego back down to the flat earth. Okay. I don't quite get what Pat this good Samaritan's deal is. Is he one of the Mad Mike team? Is he a is he a heckler that Mad Mike ironically reposts or something? I, I don't quite know what's going on here. It's all very strange. I guess they're getting supposed to be getting close to some sort of a launch, aren't they? I forget. Was it supposed to happen in May? All right. Well, I think that's it for today's Mad Mike Hughes update. Cue that lovely music. Gonna prove that the world is flat In his rocket ship Or else he'll go splat He's Mad Mike Mad Mike Speaking of rockets and whatnot, I guess this is sort of a segue. A week ago, as I record this, my kid and I saw Avengers Endgame. I'm guessing by now, most of you who care about Avengers Endgame have seen it, but I will try not to spoil it. It's really good, actually. I was, I, mean, I liked as a kid Superman and Batman, Robin, Spider-Man, but I was not a you know, crazy, cuckoo, Gaga, gotta-have-everything, superhero kind of kid. And I've watched many of the Avengers movies, and the, the related Captain America, Iron Man, Thor. Not so much Thor. I think I've said that before. I'm not a huge Thor guy. I like him well enough. But I've watched most of those movies, not all of them. Uh, most of them are pretty forgettable to me. Um, but I like the Avengers movies because... They really do a nice job of giving you a superhero comic book-ish type flying around beating up monsters kind of movie while also paying attention to the arc of the characters. Giving the characters personalities and story arcs and uh, really kind of making you care about these people um, even though they're, they're comic book superheroes. So I applaud Marvel for that, and the writers. Shout out to the writers, because writers don't get enough respect, especially in movies. So shout out to them. Avengers: Endgame is three hours of really solid stuff. I I was a little worried for a while that it was going to be too talky. I like a talky movie uh, when the dialogue is good, but I was worried that this one was going to be too talky for a superhero movie. Because there's not a whole lot of action in the first part; uh, it's more ambiance and talking. The action hits heavy and hard the rest of the movie. But uh, I, I just really liked what they did with the characters. I liked how they finalized things because it is, in a lot of ways, a finale. It's clear that there are going to be more Avengers movies, but in a lot of st- they end a lot of storylines. And I kind of applaud them for that. So, uh, yeah. So that was my spoiler-free mini-review of Avengers Endgame. If you have thoughts about Avengers Endgame, go ahead and share them. It has nothing to do with Atari. Uh, it's just something that I have enjoyed recently. Some of you may have seen this on the internet, too. I'm looking at an article from twingalaxies.com. Bandai Namco and artist Richard Orlinski team up for Pac-Man Sculpture. They're working together to produce a new sculpture of the retro gaming star icon, Pac-Man. Pac-Man's coming up on its 40th anniversary, so Bandai Namco reached out to Richard Orlinsky and figurine company, uh, Ni nee Media, to create an awesome new Pac-Man statuette, which is available for pre-order. The Pac-Man was announced on May 7th on Bandai Namco's Twitter and YouTube. Sculptures of a style which pairs Orlinski's single, single color and abstract styles with the polygonal nature of Pac-Man in video gaming. Sculptures come in a yellow and black variant and can be pre-ordered with no release announced yet. price is currently set at around 134 crap, hundred and thirty-four ninety-nine US. It's a bit steep on cost, but statues are choice collectibles of the gaming icon. Each statue comes with a box, which features further art and design, and the statues themselves are an awesome take on the 3D variation of Pac-Man. Olinsky's design exhibit wireframe design aesthetic of 3D modeling for characters in video games not to mention doing justice to the simple yet always recognizable look of Pac-Man as we know him now. So I'm looking at it. It's nice, I guess. It's not $135 nice, in my opinion. But um, you know, you do you. I won't say no if somebody wants to send me one. Um, but I frankly am probably not going to run out and buy this. But you know, it's cool. It's a thing. Uh, you know, always nice to reaffirm that. The old classic video games are still uh, a popular thing. All right, one more thing before we get on to this week's game. Got a little bit of feedback from Mark. Hi, Mark. In response to a post I put up about my book, Misery Banana, Very Short Stories Inspired by Old Games and Odd Thoughts, available to order anywhere now, um, Mark Super wrote, Reading this book did remind me that I never got around to sending you a list of famous gophers like you requested in episode 149. Alright. I'll be honest here and admit I don't specifically remember asking for a list of famous gophers, but it does totally sound like something I would do. So, yeah, let's go with it. Uh, You people, go back to episode 149 and listen to it again also, and uh, then maybe you can tell me why I asked for a list of famous gophers. I'm guessing I played the game Gopher in that episode. Um, that would be my assumption. So Mark has a couple suggestions for other famous Gophers. One, oh, first has I shall make my amends now. Uh, he's apologizing for not sending a list back then. Uh, Mark, no worries. Uh, famous Gophers are popular anytime. So number one, uh, let's see. He says there are three Gophers of note in Minnesota. One. Fairchild, the official mascot of the Minnesota State Fair, who turned 50, year, uh, 50 years old in 2016. I'd forgotten about that gopher. Actually, I didn't know he had a name, but I can I can picture the gopher that you're talking about. Uh, as a kid, I lived near Minnesota, and strictly speaking, I guess I hailed from Minnesota, having been born there uh, and lived there for the first three years of my life or so. And so it was a ritual. Every summer, we went to the Minnesota State Fair. So I can picture the gopher that you're talking about, But like I said, I didn't know he had a name. But it's Fairchild, apparently. Two, Fairborn, Fairchild's nephew, who was introduced in 1983. Isn't that always the way? You have these iconic characters, and then after a few years, when people get tired of them, or they get a little older, then inevitably, the nephew comes in, right? They did it with Oliver on The Brady Bunch. Um, They did it with uh, Leo DiCaprio on Growing Pains guess he wasn't a nephew he was just some other kid they brought in but that's always the way so poor you know Fairchild had to deal with Fairborn being brought in as the hot new thing so I feel for you I feel for you Fairchild next you've got Goldie the gopher mascot of the University of Minnesota who likes to pretend that he is great at hockey but who always manages to lose when Blizzard the Husky or Champ the Bulldog is around all right very nice Who knew there were so many famous gophers? I'm kind of remembering more about why I asked for this. I think I probably mentioned the gopher from Caddyshack. Um, Probably some others. That's the only one I can think of right now. And I appreciate you adding to my list. Um, So, yeah, people go back and listen to 149 again and uh, revel in the enjoyment of gophers. Um, Thanks again, Mark. Appreciate that. Uh, Keep the feedback coming. All the rest of you, keep the feedback coming, uh, go for related or otherwise. Alright, let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is Subscan from Sega 1983, based of course on the 1979 arcade game Deep Scan. I think the name change was a good idea, this obviously is a submarine related game. Deep scan? sounds to me more like something you would do to try to detect an illness in somebody. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Pepper, we're going to have to schedule a deep scan for next week. Do I need to wear pants? Well, that's optional, Mr. Pepper. All right, so how do you play deep scan? Sorry, how do you play subscan? I think I said deep scan a minute ago. I'll figure that out when I do the editing on the podcast, but for right now, I'm not going to worry about it. If it turns out I actually did save subscan other than deep scan, Uh, tell you what, I'm just going to leave all this in there anyway. You'll just have to listen to it. Anyway. Now hear this, the manual says. Now hear this. All hands, man your battle stations. Enemy submarines have been detected in your waters. You command a destroyer which can launch as many as four depth charges at a time. Your mission is to sink as many enemy subs as possible. But it's not that simple. Because subscan is more than a shooting match. It's a game of strategy. A battle of wits. Cat and mouse on the high seas. Between the hunter above and the hunted below. The, uh, trans, uh, the transcription of the manual that I'm looking at here has a typo. And it says, not cat and mouse, can and mouse. I don't know why that amuses me. I'm picturing a little, uh, like a little soup can with a little cartoon ma- mouse waving at you from inside the can. Anyway, use the left joystick controller. Move the joystick left and right to move your destroyer. Move the joystick up or down uh, if you want, but it doesn't have any effect. Use the red fire button to launch depth charges. The depth charges leave the destroyer in the direction the destroyer last moved, which is a little frustrating until you get used to it, in my opinion. Your inventory of depth charges is shown directly below the two score panels. Every time a launched depth charge explodes, one depth charge is added to your inventory. A depth charge explodes by uh, by either hitting an enemy sub or reaching the ocean bottom, where it explodes harmlessly. Your inventory can reach a maximum of four depth charges, and then they have a screenshot of an exploding depth charge. Can everyone see in the back? Good. At the bottom of the screen is a reader scanning, or a radar scanning viewport. On this viewport, you see a map of the ocean with small blips indicating all subs. Your scanner extends beyond the battle scene, so you can see subs on their way into the battle scene. And I'll just stop here for a second. I didn't mention this in the field report, but unlike a lot of games. Where even when they give you the little uh, readout to show you what's coming, in this game you actually have time to get ready for it. Usually what happens when things are coming at you from off screen, they're like there. Uh, most time you don't even know. Most time you don't have that little radar showing you what's coming. They just show up uh, from off screen you don't have time to prepare. In this game, they give you that time and I appreciate that. Beneath the viewport and to the left is a number which counts down the number of subs which leave the screen without being hit by one of your depth charges. This number begins at 10 and counts down to zero, because that's how numbers work. When it hits zero, when the tenth sub has safely left the battlefield, the game is over. Any bonus subs you let go do not count as missed subs. Beneath the viewport and to the right is a number which shows submarine speed. A game begins with the slowest subspeed, 0, and escalates to the highest speed, 9, as certain score levels are reached. Bonus Sub Two scores are shown at the bottom of the screen. The top red number is your actual score. The bottom number is a bonus value which increases every time you sink a submarine. To actually collect the bonus, you must sink a special bonus sub which cruises only at the lowest ocean depth. You'll know the special sub by its special color and sound. And the cocky way that it moves across the screen In its devil-may-care attitude Hair flowing in the breeze Winning smile lighting up the area Sorry, I kind of wandered off there for a second Anyway uh, Oh, they have a screenshot of the bonus sub Just an orange-colored sub at the bottom of the ocean uh, Which means I'm either picturing it as uh, The confident, winning, gorgeous Tom Cruise Or Donald Trump not sure. Anyway, scoring. Scoring information is shown in Table 1. Notice that it, uh, the more subs you hit before collecting the bonus, the faster the bonus value increases. When you hit the bonus sub and collect the bonus, the sub count starts again at 0, where the first 10 subs hit add 100 to the bonus value. Submarine speed is shown in Table 2. Your ship and ship and depth charges always move at the same rate. The sub increases Subs increase speed when certain scores or bonus values are reached. Your main mission is to hit all the subs, miss 10, and the game is over. Once you have aimed a depth charge at a particular sub, keep your eye on the depth charge and the sub. A shallower sub might cruise into the battle scene and run into a previously targeted depth charge. In this case, you'll need to quickly launch another depth charge to hit your original target sub. Avoid hitting the bonus sub as long as you possibly can! Exclamation point! This builds the bonus value up to an incredible rate and keeps the subs moving at a manageable speed. Remember, a bonus sub never counts as a missed sub if you let it go. Use the viewport. If you time it right, you can hit subs just as they enter the battle scene. Sega! The Arcade Experts. That's not me editorializing. That's what it says at the end of this manual. And that is how you play... Subscan! But Bill, you ask, does Wikipedia have anything about subscan? Why, yes. Yes, it does. Deep Scan, which I mentioned before, was an arcade game released in 79 and involved commanding a battleship ship which patrols the ocean. The object is to destroy as many enemy submarines as possible by dropping mines from either left or right side. The game features the radar at the bottom of the screen, a gaming innovation that would be popularized on the mega Cellar Defender two years later, as well as full RGB color graphics, which was still a new feature in 79. Some arcade cabinets bundled the game with Invinco a Space Invaders clone released by Sega the same year. In addition to being imported to the 2600 as subscan, it was included as a bonus in the Sega Saturn version of Die Hard Arcade, in which every 200 points earned gets the player an extra credit for the disc's title game. Depth Charge was a 1977 arcade game with similar gameplay. Our friends over at Atari HQ observes I suppose we can excuse Sega for countless unimpressive 2600 translations of their coin ops. After all, the company was on the cutting edge of arcade graphics. What with such games with awe inspiring visuals like Buck Rogers Congo Bongo. Alright, Buck Rogers Congo Bongo. But Subscan was an older and less graphically imp- intensive game to begin with, so the fact that it turned out quite mundane is disappointing. At least with Tax Scan, they did a good job of keeping the gameplay intact, despite looking very little like the Coinop. Just about everything from the graphics to the sound are translated nicely on the 2600, so what's wrong? Simple, in the Coinop, the subs fired torpedoes back at you. In the cart they don't. The problem is magnified when you realize what a simple game the arcade version already was to begin with. scan becomes nothing more than target practice. That is a good point. Honestly I didn't think about that very much the little bit that I played it but over time I can see where the game might get kind of boring because yeah they're not firing back. Um, I, I guess the the challenge part then comes in you know if you miss those ten subs the game is over. So yeah, the review notes that it's, it's kind of it's really just target practice, but I still think it's kind of fun. So I don't disagree with Atari HQ, but I still think the game's kind of fun. The video game critic comments that subscan should be prescribed to insomniacs because it's slow and boring. The Woodgrain Wonderland review starts out. There seems to be a lot of submarine sinking games on the 2600, and Subscan is, well, another one of them. Lord help me, though, I kind of enjoyed this humble little title in spite of some infuriating control decisions and overall just being so slow. I feel you, Whitgrain Wonderland. I'm right there with you. The difference between Subscan and most other games like it is that instead of dropping your charges from the bottom of your ship, you toss the charges from the side, which brings a whole new dimension to leading your shot. What I hated was the fact that the charges only fired in the direction you move your ship. I agree. This was initially frustrating and remained that way, but it can be overcome. Uh, He likes the bonus ship, I think it's the pinball fan in me that delights in getting a big bonus, but certainly added to an otherwise run of the mill game. This might be a fault to some but a feature to others, but Subscan never seems to scale in terms of speed or difficulty. Could be argued that it's already difficult enough, but back in it's video game era, it was expected that a game would get harder in order to justify continuing interest. Personally, I'm more than willing to file Subscan under Relaxing Entertainment and leave it at that. And they give it a C. I think that's a fair rating. Like I said, I'm just enamored right now with the look of the game. And there is some challenge to it. But yeah, I could see where that could wear off quickly. All right. Well, after the break, who wants turkey? Who wants chicken teriyaki? Who wants ham? Who wants veggie? Oh, wait. It's not sub sandwiches. Well, then something about submarines then. look all I said was I wanted a submarine sandwich dive 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 torpedoes away whoa wait is this because I asked for the fancy mustard okay we're gonna play subscan sega 1982 I've got it up on the screen it looks really good actually I haven't started the game yet you have got the uh, ocean you've got the uh, submarines floating by the subs look good Uh, the destroyer up on the uh, surface looks good Uh, You got your depth charges coming down Uh, without even starting to play yet. I'm really kind of happy with it so far. Let's see how the play goes. Got the sonar pings going. You got your radar scanner showing that the subs are on their way. Not sandwiches, unfortunately. Alright, I think I'm going to go ahead and- yep, ah, I waited too long. I didn't prematurely eject my depth charges. I ejected them too late. Oh, this uh, depth charge drops in the direction—the last direction you were going—thing kind of messes me up a little bit. Oh, wow, I'm doing a really bad job. It's hard to talk and blow up submarines at the same time. There we go. I like that uh, the depth charges that miss, when they hit the bottom of the ocean, uh, they explode at the bottom there. That's a nice touch. I like, you got the radar sounds going uh, throughout the game, it adds a little ambiance. Got you. Here comes some more. Ha! I dropped my depth charge just before I entered the screen. But I was too late with the next one. I kind of like this uh, countdown thing where you got to get a certain number before they get away. Nope, that's not going to hit anything. Oh man, it missed both of them. Depth charges, you get a depth charge, and you get a depth charge! Is that Oprah joke played out by now? I kinda hope it is. Wow, you're way down there at the bottom. Gotta get enough lead time. Away! Is I going to be too much no? I'm going to get that one. Yeah! Ooh, two at the same time. Boom! Does anyone want to fight me? Oh, there's the special sub! Maybe? that might have been a little too soon. Maybe? 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 Boom! Special sub, y'all! All the points for Big Daddy. That, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, is the first special sub that I've nailed in playing this game today. Oh, man. I like the end of the game, your destroyer just kind of disintegrates. Into the ocean, that's kind of cool. Um, my score is a whopping 1,680, but given that I've played this game so far like three times in my life, I'll take it. Back to you in the studio. Hey Atari fans, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge based games for the Atari's Last Answer, the 8 bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Here we'll also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. Hey, it's me, Bill, your host, the guy you've been listening to this whole episode. Do you enjoy the stories I write and read to you every week on this podcast, but you feel like you just need a break from my voice? I get it. My family does sometimes, too. Here's an option. Some of the stories from the show are now collected in a volume titled Misery Banana, Very Short Stories Inspired by Old Games and Odd Thoughts. You can order it wherever you like to order books. I hope you'll check it out. Thanks. So here's the thing about SubScan. I've kind of said it. It's fun. It could be better. But what game... Well, I shouldn't say that, because there are probably some games that are pretty much perfect. But what game couldn't be better, for the most part? I'm happy with it. I would play it some more. And as, as I've said many times, I think the sign of a good game is, would you play it some more? And I would. So I'm saying it's a good game. There, I'm on record. Come fight me about it. No, please don't. I'm kind of a weenie. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story is titled Maximum Depth Charge, a Steve Stetson 1980s super spy adventure. The crew of the USS Nemo nuclear submarine froze in place, some even holding their breath. The captain had ordered silent running, not a sound could be heard, not even the engines. Any noise could reveal their position to the enemy that could be scanning them, but they were plagued by a mystery noise. There it was again, a weird metallic thud, like something trying to get into the sub. Captain Jellicoe remained stoic. Though his heart beat so fast, he was sure the thumping would give them away. Thud, thud, thud. Wait, Jellicoe realized that it was, in fact, what he feared it was. But this was impossible. There was something knocking on the outside of the sub. Had they hit something? A coral reef? A passing whale? What was it? The crew was horrified to hear the heavy metal scraping of a hatch opening and closing. This was crazy. They were deep underwater. No one could open a hatch, and yet heavy footfalls approached the bridge At a nod from Captain Jellicoe, the bridge crew silently drew their sidearms. It was dangerous to fire weapons in such a confined space, but these were dangerous times. Something was headed their way that shouldn't be. The footsteps were closer now. Jellicoe raised his gun. "'Hello,' said the beaming face that appeared in the doorway. The man removed his face mask. "'Steve Stetson,' he said. "'Permission to come aboard? Your destroyer is about to be sunk, but I brought the ultimate battleship. My brain.' No one spoke. Now then, Stetson said, where can I throw up? devil are you, Jellico said, the gun still trained on Stetson. Devilish perhaps, Stetson said, or so I've been told, but not the actual devil. Stetson's diving fins smacked wetly across the deck. Every gun in the room followed him. We've been investigating unusual activity in these waters, Stetson said. Commander Matty Grimm should have forwarded my clearance to you. They wanted to helicopter me in, but my stuff looks amazing in this wetsuit. I don't know who you are, Or what you're talking about, Jellicoe said. A lieutenant handed Jellicoe a piece of paper. he grimaced at the newly arrived orders. Damn it, he said. Stand down, everyone. The crew lowered their guns. Still want to throw me in the brig? Stetson said. Make me walk the plank, perhaps? Jellicoe's face seemed to fold in on itself. The desk job at Quantico was sounding better all the time. You're bugging me already. Don't tempt me. Stetson shrugged. Like that was the first time he'd heard that today. He lowered the zipper of his wetsuit and stepped out of it, then smoothed the lapels of his tuxedo and straightened his tie. He paused, picturing the roll of word-of-the-day toilet paper in the main floor bathroom of his condo, then said, You don't have a haberdashery on board, do you? I like the shirt okay, but I'm really in the mood for cufflinks. <sighs> you said you had information about who was attacking our destroyers? Jellico said. Actually, I said your destroyer is about to be sunk, Stetson said. As it happens, I have a pretty good idea where the enemy is. R, Is? No, R, definitely. How could you possibly know that when the entire Navy can't even figure that out? Captain Jellicoe said. Stetson grinned. You just got to look around, Admiral. Me? I keep my periscope up all the time. Stetson winked at a red-headed lieutenant standing near the sub's periscope. She flipped him the bird. It was hugely unprofessional, and Jellico should have reprimanded her, but really, Stetson had it coming. Stetson was unfazed, so how do we pinpoint where they are? Ping them with sonar, an ensign called from the back of the room. Boring, Stetson said. I've got something more fun. Ready? All the officers glanced around, nonplussed. Reverse depth charges. That's not a thing, Jellico said. Now really, Stetson, we've got Stetson interrupted you mean it's not a thing yet. The ensign from earlier, Collins or Collingworth or Collington or something, called out. Seriously, where was he sitting? A depth charge destroys subs by being dropped into the water and detonated near the sub. The hydraulic shock destroys the sub. If we release a depth charge, we're dead, sir. Ah, that might be true, my invisible friend, Stetson said. But I said a reverse depth charge. "'We're going to use our sub to send a depth charge in reverse to unmask the enemy "'so that your destroyer can, well, destroy it.' "'Jellicoe pinched the bridge of his nose, "'the way people do in stories to indicate frustration. "'How exactly do we do that?' "'Well,' Stetson said, "'while I was outside, I took the liberty of—' "'He paused to recall a sheet of the the word-of-the-day toilet paper "'from that night after the burritos.' I took the liberty of affixing a rather large rubber band to the sonar sphere on the nose of the submarine. Jellica's head might have been a depth charge itself, as it seemed about to explode. What? he managed to ask with miraculous restraint. It kind of looks like a stringy sinus-conditioned butter, Stetson observed. Anyway, when the destroyer above us sets off, sets off a depth charge, the rubber band will catch it, stretch back, and zoom! The rubber band will fling that sucker back to the surface where it will detonate. The resulting flash will illuminate the water around us just long enough to reveal our enemy attacker. Easy peasy. Jellicoe blinked. Once. Twice. He was just about to speak when the disembodied Ensign shouted, That's stupid! Captain, Lieutenant Lester said, The Destroyer Atari is about to launch a depth charge. Stetson pumped his fist. We're about to find out. The charge launched. Jellicoe braced. "'Wondered what it would be like to spend the rest of his career "'scraping barnacles off the hulls of ships in dock. "'The rubber band, though, did exactly as required. "'He caught the depth charge and flung it away like last year's regrets. "'And then... "'Nothing. "'No explosion. No nothing. "'Well,' Stetson said, "'that's disappointing.' The mystery ensign suddenly appeared, wrenching the headphones from his ears. Captain, he shouted, I've got something. A sub, maybe. A periscope, Jellico said. Yeah, Stetson said, grinning. I've got visuals, Jellico said. Arm the... No time, Lieutenant Lester said. Prepare for ramming speed, Stetson said. That's not a thing, Jellico said. I know, but I'm betting that other sub doesn't, Stetson said. Do it, Lieutenant. Belay that order, Lieutenant. That's so Star trek Stetson said. Enemy depth charge incoming, Captain, Lester said. Ideas, Jellico said. Stetson shrugged. But then, proving, as if it needed proving, that what goes up must come down, the rubber band-launched charge fell back into the ocean again, intercepting the enemy charge. The two depth charges neutralized each other in a harmless explosion, except for all the sea life, but, you know, whatever. "'Well, General,' Stetson said to Jellicoe, "'that all worked out well, didn't it? "'Now, what do you say we sail into port and fill our portals?' "'And that was how Stetson soon found himself "'floating out to sea alone in a rubber life raft. "'He considered filing a formal complaint, if he survived, "'but as part of the deal with signing up "'with the clandestine government agency he worked for "'was if you no longer officially exist, "'it probably wasn't a court-martial offense "'for Jellicoe to boot Stetson off the sub. "'Stetson floated for a while,' singing body sea shanties to himself, until finally his superior officer, Matty Grimm, floated by on a sea turtle, f- wearing a fur-lined bikini. Grimm, not the turtle. "'Commander Stetson,' Grimm said formally. "'Matty,' Stetson said. Maddy Grimm stared out over the endless expanse of ocean, patted Telly the turtle on the head, then looked at Stetson and said, "'You're an idiot.' our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com for creative commons use of his songs, Reformat Take a Chance in Pinball Spring. Thanks to Mike Mann for the Mad Mike Hughes update theme. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the storytime theme. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, which you know because you're listening to one. But your friends might not be, so tell them to do that. And whatever you do, go scan the iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and submit a review so that other potential listeners can ping this show. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at AtariBytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And check us out on Instagram. And don't forget, you can call us now and leave a voicemail about any damn thing you want. Just call 563-265-1978. I might even play your message on the show. Please consider also supporting the show financially by making a donation on the Atari Bytes Patreon page and by picking up shirts and mugs at the ab underscore pod underscore store Links to all of that in the show notes. Hey, do you love Snoopy? Charlie Brown, Linus, all the Peanuts characters. Do you know someone who does? Yes, yes you do. So, go check out my other show. It's called It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown. And it's your one-stop shop for all things in and around the Peanuts universe. We talked about the comic strip, the TV specials, the movies. We've had authors, illustrators, playwrights, uh, all sorts of people who love Peanuts talking about Peanuts. New episodes drop on the 15th of every month, and you're missing out if you don't check it out. Next time on Atari Bites, Plaque Attack. So, brush your teeth, and join us next week. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.